This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher for MLB.com. Joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor, and we have with us a special friend guest today, Sarah Langs, who is one of our colleagues here, also a writer, an analyst, and researcher. We are going to get to uh, what little news there is in the baseball world, and we are going to wrap up this year with a couple of wishes and predictions for 2021 from each of the three of us. Uh, Matt, Sarah, hello. It's good to talk to you guys. There's not much going on in the baseball world right now, but there's a couple of interesting things. Yesterday, we found out that the Phillies named Sam Fold their general manager. Um, I think that's a good hire. I personally was a little disappointed because that's another general manager who's younger than I am, which I, I just don't approve of that being a thing. I guess, Sarah, that doesn't apply to you yet, I don't think, although Scott Harris is pretty young um, for the Giants. And here's the question I want to ask the both of you. So Sam Fold, um, obviously, when he played, had a reputation as being uh, you know, an intelligent player kind of into the analytics and he's you know, written about that and he's worked uh, on that side for the last couple of years. And the most recent general manager hire was Chris Young in Texas, who kind of similar, right? Also a player, but like an Ivy leaguer. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is in your eyes, uh, is it a, is it a trend that we're going to see more players get the GM job? I know neither are like the top dog there because they've each got presidents of baseball ops or whatever, but it seemed like for a really long time, other than Jerry Depoto, you didn't really have players get these jobs. And now we've had two in the last couple of weeks. So, uh, Sarah, if you want to go first, do, do you think that is the start of something new we'll see here? Yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting because these aren't just former players, but these are former players who have a reputation, as you said, for understanding analytics, working with numbers and not necessarily having that former player sort of, you know, mantra that we often used to think of, I think like, you know, decades ago where the former player only acts off of what he knew when he was playing and what he was as a player. I I could see this being a thing because we've seen more players get into numbers and sort of pursue that side of the game upon retiring or upon sort of, you know, playing a little bit less. But it's interesting because I was doing some research about GMs and president of baseball ops and just those on this side of the game uh, leading into the World Series with Andrew Friedman's connection to the Rays and to the Dodgers. And if you go back kind of to the 60s and 70s, all of the GMs were former players and they weren't players who I think anyone would necessarily, I mean, analytics wasn't a thing and that sort of mindset was not really prevalent at all. So it's interesting that now we're seeing more players, but there's this added part to it where they do have that analytical bent. Yeah, this seems to be just the the the, the extension of kind of a trend we've been seeing where, you know, the, oh, it was like number, stats for scouts and then it was, you know, stats were dominating. And then it was like, actually, what we should do is combine the two, you know, the old baseball perspective, beer or tacos, beer and tacos. That's, the, that's what we want. Um, and we've seen teams hiring former players to sort of be the, you know, the 
the conduit from the front office to the field, which a role, which actually a role Sam Fold had, I think, with the Phillies. We've seen Dan Heron have that role, I think, with a couple of teams. So this seems just like kind of an extension of that. And also, I mean, like, you know, there's also the, the Ivy League stereotype that's kind of been out there. Well, Chris Young went to Princeton and Sam Fold went to Stanford. So um, I'll be more interesting maybe when it's a player who doesn't have that Ivy League or, you know, you know, sort of uh, Ivy League type pedigree that um, that starts getting the GM job, then it'll seem almost a little more, it'll be a little more uh, um, unique in my eyes. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see that the, um, you know, these players are getting these jobs like to, to look at another sport. I was a huge hockey fan when I was a kid and then I kind of fell out of it for like 10 years and I tried to get back into it this year. And I realized that like half the general managers were guys I remembered playing like, wow, Joe Sackick's running a team now, Bill Garrett <laughs> and Rob Blake, like what, what's even happening right now? Um, so I, I think we should be careful not to say that two guys is a trend, but I, I think as you both alluded to the, uh, you know, the, the combination of knowing how to speak the analytical language, but also having had that baseball life is like, it's a super valuable thing. And I think it would be cool if Dan Heron ran a team someday because he seems like just a really hilarious and cool guy. Um, one other, you know, notable piece of news, I think, was that Howie Kendrick retired and he um, he had a really interesting career. So he came up with the Angels. He actually predated Trout and Pujols with the Angels. And I went and looked at his first game in the majors in 2006. Tigers and Angels, this was the pre-Miggy Tigers, right? So this is still like Ivan Rodriguez, Curtis Granderson, Brandon Idge. And for the Angels, it was Vlad Sr. and Tim Salmon and Sean Figgins and all those guys. And I remember him um, for like more than a decade as being like, you know, an above average hitter, like high batting average, not a ton of power, you know, decent second baseman, like maybe a classic, like hall of very good guy, you know, never a superstar or anything. And he went to the Dodgers and he was like, not that great. And he went to the Phillies and he was okay. And then he went to the nationals. And I feel like despite the fact that he played 13 years in the big leagues before he got to the nationals, I'm only ever going to remember him for what he did in Washington in 2019. He was, if you look at like expected weighted on base, the stack cast metric, the fourth best hitter in baseball. Uh, he hit 344, 395, 572, and it was totally backed up. It was not a fluke. Like all of a sudden, you know, at 36 years old, here comes this guy mashing the ball. And I think everyone's going to remember the home run he hit in game seven of the World Series that year, uh, which if you go and look at championship win probability added, which basically looks at the situation of the game in terms of outs and runners and bases, but also the importance of it, like game seven of the World Series doesn't get much more important. That was the 13th most important play in the history of baseball. And it was so important that people forget the other important home run he hit that year. I know Dodger fans won't forget this. In the fifth game of the NLDS, this was the game where, you know, I wrote in our notes doc here that Kershaw blows a 3-1 lead in the eighth, and he did. But mostly Dave Roberts blew a 3-1 lead in the eighth by letting Kershaw pitch to Rendon and Soto, gave up two home runs. In the 10th inning versus Joe Kelly, this is what Joe Kelly did. He walked Adam Eaton. He gave up a double to Anthony Rendon, intentionally walked Soto, Howie Kendrick, Grand Slam, two of the most important postseason home runs in recent memory. And also, by the way, when he got hurt in 2018, when he tore up his Achilles and he missed the rest of the year, that was the injury that opened up a roster spot that turned into Juan Soto. So Howie Kendrick had one of the more... I don't know, underrated, I guess, in the last two years, but quietly remarkable careers uh, in big league history. And I just I felt like we should not let that go unremarked because he ended up having, uh, you know, kind of a really interesting tenure in the game. Definitely. And, you know, he was like this huge prospect who never really kind of panned out, but then he kind of did at the end, as you said. So it was uh, it was in, in many ways when it, when it all said and done, it was, you know, a like I think like 
he sort of fulfilled the promise that he had. It just kind of took a took a few weird turns. Yeah, I, I have uh, one very brief Howie Kendrick story. Like five years ago, I was in the Dodger locker room and I asked him, "Hey Howie, do you have do you have a minute for MLB.com?" And he said, "Nope." And kept on walking. <laughs> and I'm not even trying to make him look like a bad guy because I don't think he is. I just thought that was funny and I don't know, probably exactly what I would have said too if it was some random guy. Um, I did not know. The other thing um, we should talk about, well, two other things. Joe Adele, who was a highly rated prospect coming into the year, um, Angels manager Joe Madden said he needs more time in the minor leagues, no question. And Joe Adele was not very good this year. 161, 212, 266. That is a 31 weighted runs created plus where 100 league average. He was legitimately the worst hitter in baseball this year. And he was also the guy that turned a fly out to right field into a home run or a four base error or whatever he did by kicking that ball over the fence. He wasn't good, right? No doubt. Do you guys think it was a, a smart idea for the manager to basically come out and say, uh, you know, you're probably not on the team next year? Like, I don't know. Does that does that motivate you to work hard over the winter? I think it might. I mean, it's so it's so hard to be the top prospect on a team that had Mike Trout, you know, and, and Mike Trout wasn't perfect when he first came up either. You know, we don't talk about 2011 and he didn't get off to a Mike Trout start. And I think that that's what Joe Adele has to be hoping, what everyone in the Angels organization has to be hoping. But I, I think that that serves as a motivational tactic. And I think we know enough about Joe Madden and the way that he manages teams and talks about his players and to his players that I, I think that would be a calculated choice, you know, ma- saying something like that. But I just felt so badly for Adele. I mean, there were basically two plays like that, that you made reference to where the home run happened. I think there was another one that didn't end up quite the four base error conversation, but went off his glove again. But I, I think that just some more time and he'll be okay. I mean, 98th percentile sprint speed, you know, there's something something coming i like you putting the uh the positive spin on it uh on it sarah i honestly don't know if it's good or bad i think it, i just thought it was interesting i saw the quote from mad the other day and i was like huh you usually don't see managers say something so so um so so bluntly uh about a player like that which i appreciate um it's nice you know it's sort of like uh you know players and managers often get criticized when they're honest but like isn't that what we want so i appreciated the the honesty it's also interesting to say because like there may not you know we don't know what the minor leagues are going to look like this year so in a normal year it would make a lot of sense because you'd be like okay we'll just send him down and you know if he rakes for a few weeks then we can just call him up but um we don't really know we could be back to sort of having an alternate site kind of situation that's still up in the air so um it makes it that much more surprising that he he said that i think they should trade him right now i, I and i it's not because i don't think joe adele is good i think he's going to be very good but can you guys believe that Mike Trout turns 30 next summer? He's going to turn 30. And if if there is not a more win-now situation than having Mike Trout entering his 30s, I'm not sure what is. And everybody on earth knows that the Angels need pitching. So whether that's in a deal for Blake Snell or you know some other top-level pitcher, I don't know. But you can do that. You still have outfielders, right? Like You still have uh, Justin Upton is there. Brandon Marsh is another good prospect who's basically ready. Jordan Adams, not that far behind him. There's a million outfielders available in free agency. If you can turn Joe Adele into a top flight pitcher right now, that improves your chances for 2021. And even if that's not like the right value proposition, you know, you know in terms of long-term value, I feel like in this case, I don't care. Like the only thing Perry Manassian should be doing is how can we get Mike Trout to the playoffs? Is that, am I nuts? You're stealing my thunder for later in the show, Mike. Well, okay. Well, sorry about that. And then finally, um, the Hall of Fame balloting is coming to an end for the year. Uh, there's still another week or so for for ballots to be getting in. And thanks to the good work of our friend Ryan Thibodeau, who tracks all of this online, um, 
it doesn't seem like anybody at the moment is necessarily likely to get in. This is, you know, you have to get 75% of, of ballots. And right now, Bonds and Clemens and Schilling are all exactly tied at 70.2% of ballots. Um, there is sort of a selection bias here in the sense that voters who are likely to reveal their ballots early tend to be a little more progressive and voters who don't tend to be a little more conservative. So I think that will hurt Bonds and Clemens. Um, but I don't think either of them are going to get in. I'm not really sure about Schilling. I think he's going to be like, he might be the kind of guy who falls short by one vote. And then it's not going to be hard to figure out where that missing vote, uh, you know, went like why it was not given to him. Um, some of the other names like Vizquel is at 44%. Wagner is at 44%. Scott Rowland, uh, moving on up in the world, 56%. Even Todd Helen is up to 50%. I actually don't think anyone's going to get in. And, um, you know, there are guys I would vote for, but um, I don't think this is necessarily surprising. I, I think this is maybe the most likely outcome here. No, I think what's most interesting is is Roland um, in particular, because I think that, as you said, I don't think he's going to finish at 56% where he is now, but last year he finished at 35%. So it suggests to me he's going to jump get a big jump and might be the kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of weird how players have kind of hall of fame momentum, but it, it's definitely a thing. And, um, there's definitely like a strong kind of sabermetric case for Roland. And if he's jumping up, you know, 10 to 15 percentage points, which seems very possible, um, you're st- you and he gets to 50%, you kind of start, it's his fourth year on the ballot. You kind of think he's probably going to get in eventually, which is kind of cool. Um, Schilling, I think, is probably going to fall short only based on the fact that if you look at the public balloting, you can see, and this I think this is related to some of his inflammatory. Um, uh, <laughs> That's the, a I'll, kind I'll, way to put it. <laughs> his inflammatory remarks. Um, and right now you could see if you look at the public balloting, he is net minus one vote. And this doesn't even include Joe Posnanski, who wrote a column about how I've written written for voted for Schilling in the past and I'm not voting for him this year. So you can look at the tracking, you see he's there at least three people we know of on record who didn't who voted for him last year who say they are not voting for him this year and only one person who didn't vote for him last year who is voting for him this year considering he fell you know he was at 70% last year and it's not like he's getting more popular um i don't think he's going to get i think he's going to i think he's going to fall short by 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 a few votes of course there wasn't a ceremony last year so he still will have you know Derek Jeter and Larry Walker inducted this summer so it won't be like an empty it won't be an empty stage yeah, it's really interesting to look at the guys who've gained like a significant number. As you were saying, Roland has gained 10 votes from returning voters. Todd Helton has gained 10. Billy Wagner has gained eight. And I feel like those have been the sort of conversation topics, the ones who we've seen multiple articles saying, here's why there's a sabermetric case or here's why there's a case beyond what you might immediately think of with his career. It feels like Roland, who's in his fourth year right now, is kind of going to be the next hashtag on Twitter. Um, where maybe we're following all the way, you know, through the 10th year with Larry Walker. I'm thinking of, you know, our colleague Manny, of course. Um, But it feels like that's the fan base and with the Cardinals and everything else that could really bring him there, even if it's a couple of years down the road. Yeah, I I agree with you on Roland. I cannot think of a single reason to support Omar Vizquel and not Scott Roland. And I would have said that even before the articles recently came out about the accusations against Omar Vizquel, which obviously overly complicates everything else. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Matt and Sarah and I are each going to make three wishes for the 2021 season and also three predictions. We'll be right back. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, 
I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers and Sarah Langs here. The three of us have each come up with three wishes for 2021. I have so many wishes, but I'm going to try to keep mine just to baseball. Um, Sarah, if you want to go first, what is your first wish? What do you hope to see happen in baseball in the upcoming year? Yeah, so the first thing that came to mind for me was the full Shohei Otani experience. We saw Joe Madden talking last week during his availability about what he's expecting for Otani in 2021. He said he's doing really well. He's expecting to use a six-man rotation and have Otani in that rotation. We saw him. He pitched an inning in two-thirds this year. He was not able to pitch further. But 2018 was so much fun. Fun. He was crushing the ball. He was throwing the ball really hard. He had a couple of no-hit bids, including, and in, I think, his second start. And everyone loves to see this. I mean, everyone has been fascinated by this guy since he was first posted, since we heard he was going to be posted and or come over as a free agent, excuse me. And I, I just want to see him do all of it in, in 2021. His hitting was good in 2020, but I think that he seemed to be not at his absolute best, but we know how great of a power hitter he can be and how much of a power pitcher he can be. Do the Angels have six starters? I think I feel like that's the first step. <laughs> Maybe not right now. Maybe they need to get um, another two or three. I agree with you. Um, I, I think I'm less optimistic than you are about it actually happening. But if this is a segment about wishes, then yes, I, I agree with you totally. Matt, what do you have? Um. My hope is that the um, – and again, remember, this segment is just wishes. What we hope to see, not what we predict, we'll see. We'll get to predictions later. just want to make that clear. My hope is that we see the DH stay in the NL. Um, and, you know, my, like, 15-year-old self is cringing at me for saying this. But I think for me, it's because I'd be sort of come over on Team DH, uh, Team Universal DH the last few years, and the 2020 season uh, sealed it for me. Uh, National League DHs in 2020 hit 238, 322, 425 which is basically a league average, uh, weighted runs created plus 101, where 100 is average. In 2019, National League pitchers hit 131, 162, 166, which is a negative 17 weighted runs created plus. Um, pitchers just, I mean, it's just, it's bad baseball. It's a, it's a bad product watching pitchers hit. It's just ugly. And I've come around to the fact that this idea that like, oh, well, pitchers hitting adds a lot more strategy. I love a good double switch as much as the next person, but that's basically all it is. There's also way more strategy in putting in when you setting a starting lineup in a world of the DH has way more strategy because you have to decide who am I DHing? Is it a righty? 
Is it a lefty? You know, or how do I get the platoon advantage? Who can I move around? Like, like this is like something that, like for example, the Rays have done a great job of taking the DH and taking versatile players and using different lineup combinations that basically give you a roster that's almost like greater than the sum of its parts. And so I think when it comes to like building a roster and filling out a lineup, there actually is more um, strategy in uh, a DH world. And uh, I hope to see it today. You know, I'm on board with that. But what was interesting is the um, American League DH has just hit horribly this year. They hit 227, 312, 407. Um, They had, I think it was the second worst season ever for American League DHs, which is neither here nor there. I just found that interesting. Here's, Here's my number one wish for next season. And that is that Yuan Moncada bounces back. If you remember in 2018, you know, it looked like he was really talented, but he was slightly below average and 96 OPS plus because he was striking out so much. And then in 2019, he was a, a huge part of what looked like it was going to be a really interesting White Sox core. 140 OPS plus and he cut down on the strikeouts and he moved to third base and played really good defense. And then this last year, you know, 94 OPS plus and a 31% strikeout rate, which is all in the wrong direction. He actually had the largest drop in hard hit rate in all of baseball, 48% to 33%. And he wasn't, you know, making any bones about what happened. He unfortunately contracted COVID-19 earlier in the summer. And on September 2nd, he gave some interviews and, and he said, my body hasn't felt the same after the virus. I feel a lack of energy and strength. And so I hope, I wish that he is able to come back to full strength. And that's obviously not just a baseball concern. You know, that's uh, his, his life concern, but if he can come back and if he can overcome this and if he can look like the star he was in 2019, that does a whole lot for what is clearly a very interesting White Sox team. So that that would make me happier, I think, than anything is to see him looking like the guy uh, he was before. Sarah, do you have a second wish? I do. So something else that I was thinking of was Ronald Acuna Jr., Entering the first spring training in 2020, when teams were still in Arizona and Florida, there were these quotes floating around about how he could maybe one day have a 50-50 season. And obviously, he was on the heels of his almost 40-40 season, where he finished three stolen bases short uh, in 2019. And I really want to see him go for 40-40 this year. It isn't in a prediction, because I'm not necessarily saying it's going to happen. We'll get there. But I I would love to see this happen. He was really great last year, hard hit and speed. He didn't have numbers that would project out to 40-40, even if we did it over 162 games. But he was 99th percentile in hard hit rate and 97th percentile in sprint speed, which sounds like a really good recipe for a 40-40 season. The only other player who was 95th or better percentile in each of those was Fernando Tatis Jr. Maybe we can have that conversation with him one day, but... I want to see that Acuna spark, and I feel like we see that more than anything when he's hitting the ball over the wall and also uh, stealing bases. What I like about him is when he steals a lot of bases, he's he's very successful at doing it, right? Like in 2019, he stole 37 bags, and he was only thrown out nine times last year, successful eight out of nine times. And I think if he does that, obviously, it will be very good for the Braves. But I also think it will be good for baseball because he's not doing that in a 60-game season. Probably. So if he does that, that means we have uh, mostly a full season. So there's a second level effect. Um, Matt, you also have someone you want to see perform very well. Yeah. Continuing the trend we have of let's see fun players do fun stuff. Um, I hope we get the good Javier Baez this year. Um, he was pretty dreadful in 2020, um, um, you know, and, and just everything was kind of down. 
hard hit rate was down, strikeout rate was up, walk rate, which is already low, was down, which is really a shame because in 2019, he was like the best version of himself and, you know, an MVP candidate. And it was like when he's on his game, I think he is the most fun player in baseball. And I think that we just need we need more of that. Like Javier Baez is is entertaining in all facets of the game. He has a certain just like flair that he plays with that is just really just really fun. And as bad as he was in 2020, I, the, the problem is what makes me sort of dis- kind of worried is that there aren't really any indicators we can look at and be like, well, well, he actually hit the ball hard. So like maybe, you know, it was just like a down year. Well, no, everything was down. That said, um, I'm hoping it was just, you know, 60 game season weirdness and we'll get the 2019 version of um, Javier Baez. He is entering uh, a free agent year. So it'll also be, uh, there'll be an interesting uh, narrative on that front as well. All right, that's a good one. Here, Here's my second wish. I hope we don't have to do a regionalized schedule this upcoming season. Obviously, there's a lot of questions about what the season will look like, how many games, et cetera, et cetera. And I completely understood why in 2020 we did have that regionalized schedule where teams would just play within their, you know, not just their division, but the same division from the other league. So all the East teams played the East and Central and Central and so on. The Reds, for example, played 27% of their games against just the Pirates and the Tigers. And while, you know, again, it made sense why we had to do that as someone, you know, who lives on the East Coast, as all three of us do, I know that I missed seeing some of the more interesting West Coast teams. Like I wanted to watch more Padres for sure and Angels and Dodgers. But, you know, in my case, having two small kids, I can't really stay up late into the night to do that anymore. And I definitely found myself like, you know, in the middle of August saying, man, what I wouldn't give to see the Padres coming through like Philadelphia and Washington right now just to see some seven o'clock starts. And I'm I'm very hopeful that we get back to more of a quote unquote regular schedule for my own selfish ease of baseball watching, because that's really what these wishes are about. What is best for me and nobody else? Um, Sarah, you have a third and final wish here. So my third wish, you know, adding on to the idea of hoping to see, you know, fun players again, like Matt was saying, I want to see a healthy Aaron Judge. You know, he only played 28 games in 2020. He had a right calf issue, and this was on the heels of a 2019 where he missed time. And then after the year, it was discovered that he had that lingering issue with, I believe it was his rib um, and his lungs. So, you know, just to see him be 2017 Aaron Judge, and he may never be exactly that. That may be the high point of his career. But even in 2018, he was pretty good. And we know how much fun it is to see him on the Yankees playing so well and helping that team. And he's such a dynamic player. I I just want to see more of that. I want those Judge home runs. I want us to be going back and forth with Judge and Stanton home runs. I know that he's not part of my wish, but maybe he's sneaking in a bit there too. And just seeing both of those guys healthy and crushing the way that we were preparing for the moment that trade happened. I believe Aaron Judge is going to be 29 years old next year. Right. <laughs> like I know he's a college guy and um, you know came up a little late, but that that was wild to me. All right, here's the best one. Matt has a wish. Um, it's such a cop out. Like I agree with you. Obviously, this is the right wish, but this is everybody's wish. Go on. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I was trying to stay kind of like optimistic and feel good for our last podcast of the year. My hope is that I get to be in a packed ballpark this summer. And yes, I know this is everyone's wish. But I know that, you know, even my 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 four-year-old daughter, I took her to a game two years ago. It was one of her first, clearly one of her first memories. She talks about it all the time. She's constantly saying, when the corona's over, can we go to a Mets game again? And she asks, will we get to have ice cream again? Will we get to have hot dogs again? So, like, when I think about 
what I most want to do this summer, assuming we can get some semblance of normalcy, I think of taking my daughters to a game and having that big, you know, ice, you know, batting helmet full of soft serve and hot dogs and popcorn and the works. So yes, it's a cop out. Yes, it's corny, but it doesn't make it any less. See, I feel bad now because I made fun of you. And then that was pretty good because my, my son is five and there's two things he keeps talking about. He wants to fly to Florida and go swim in grandma's pool, which great. Um, and then yes, he also wants to go back to, you know, a baseball game or a hockey game. And, you know, especially for us with all the, the changes in the minor leagues, if there is a full minor league season, the local team here is the Brooklyn Cyclones who had been short season. And now it seems likely they will be full season. So there are more baseball opportunities for us to go to. So, yes, clearly I agree with that one, even though I made fun of you, which I'm not going to retract. Here's my last one. And if you've been listening to us on this show or the previous iteration of it for a few years, you know, Matt and I each have our quote unquote guys like Matt is the king of Luis Perdomo takes. Uh, and I feel like I've had a few guys, but one of those guys is Franchi Cordero because on the rare occasions where he's been healthy and playing, he has flashed some absolutely ridiculous tools. I think it was like three years ago. Now he hit that 489 foot home run uh, against Arizona and he's been hurt and he's been traded. And now he's with the, the Royals and my hope, my wish is that they just let him have 600 plate appearances. I'm going to give you an extreme small sample size alert here. In 2020, it wasn't that great, right? 95 OPS plus, 286 on base, whatever. He had only four strikeouts in 42 plate appearances. He's had four career four strikeout games. So four strikeouts in 42 plate appearances is actually really good. It's only 9%. Again, small samples. I get it. Um, but if you look at the underlying metrics, he crushed the ball. So he had a 307 weighted on base and a 426 expected weighted on base. But most of all, you know, look at the Royals outfield. There's him. There's Michael A. Taylor, who's fine. Whit Merrifield, you know, Jorge Soler, who's more of a DH. Edward Olivares is interesting. There is opportunity here. So just let the men play. Give him 600 plate appearances. Let's see if he's real or not. And either way, I'm probably never going to stop talking about Franchi Cordero because I just find him fascinating in so many different ways. We are going to take a quick break. Those were our wishes. We will come back with three actual predictions for 2021. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello, Matt Myers, and Sarah Langs. We just went through three of our wishes for the upcoming season. Now we're going to have three predictions, and I am actually going to start with mine. My first prediction is this. Giancarlo Stanton will have the hardest hit ball of 2021. I noticed this as I was writing something up the other day. 
we have had six years of StatCast, and he has had the hardest hit ball of the year every single year. And that has ranged from 120 miles an hour to 122 miles an hour, which I guess means that's about as hard as a human being can hit a ball in a game setting. And what's most interesting to me about this is that he's barely played. Over the last two years, 166 plate appearances, 85 batted balls, and he has still had the hardest hit ball of each of those seasons. And I should know better than this, right? I should know to pick the field. I should know that picking anybody else except for this one man who cannot stay healthy is the correct thing to do. And yet, six years, and he's done it six times. So even if he only plays like 10 games, I think I will still pick him. Of course, when I tweeted this, our friend Tom Tango put some math into it. And he said, well, uh, the non-Stanton leader will probably get up to about 119 miles an hour. And if he gets 50 batted balls, he has a 50-50 chance of hitting higher than that. So do I think he can get to 50 batted balls in a 2021 season if it's a regular length? Yes, I do. So I'm going to predict that for the seventh year in a row, he will have the hardest hit ball. And I don't know. I, I hope I'm not wrong about that, even though I, I know it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, Matt, do you have a prediction? Yes, I have a prediction. As alluded to earlier in the podcast, I think that uh, Mike Trout and the Angels will make the playoffs. Um, Mike Trout famously has not been in the playoffs since 2014 when they got swept by the Royals. And man, that feels like a long time ago. Um, but if you look at Fangraphs, the depth charts on Fangraphs right now, the Angels, somewhat surprisingly to me, rank sixth in projected war based on who's currently on the team. So free agents are not included. Well, I, that feels a little ambitious to me, and I'm not sure I'm fully buying that. Let's remember that the Astros and A's have a lot of free agents from their team from last year who are not likely going to return. With the Astros, there's George Springer, there's Michael Brantley. Um, we know Justin Verlander is going to miss the season. And then with the A's, we've got Marcus Simeon, we've got Liam Hendricks, Yusmero Petit, uh, Robbie Grossman, who was very good for them last year. So those teams are going to take a step back and the Angels will have, you know, full seasons of Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. They're still likely probably to add a pitcher. I think that they stand the most um, to gain from signing uh, Trevor Bauer, who's sort of been rumored to be on their on their radar. Um, and I think it seems like a like a very possible destination. Um, you know, the the Albert Pujols contract is ending finally after this year. And I think the Justin Upton contract as well. So they actually have in terms of kind of like being able to sign a long-term deal and still maintain some long-term um, payroll flexibility relative to the luxury tax. They're actually in pretty good shape with those um, contract settings. Oh, no, Upton has one more year after this, but the point, um, the point still stands. So I think the uh, Angels are going to make the playoffs this year and we'll get so to see Mike Trout in October. What you're really saying is that there's nobody on earth who is hoping for a return of the expanded playoffs as much as you are <laughs> because because they just had the expanded playoffs and they didn't make it if they go back to like the regular playoffs not that your points are invalid i think there's a lot of weakness in the west for sure um, i mean the the we you know uh I, our own anthony castrins wrote a piece in which he predicted the mariners to win the ao west which is like kind of out there but like that no, <laughs> that division no. is that division though the the astros and 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 um and a's are taking a step back and yes. so there's there's the 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 path is there for the angels. I, you know, I love I love Anthony, but that is a take for the sake of having a take. There is no way <laughs> Seattle is going to make it. I agree with you though. The the A's and the Astros are both probably weaker than they've been in the last couple of years. Sarah, what is your first uh, prediction for 2021? 
So my first prediction is also in a West division, but in the NL West, I think the Dodgers are going to repeat as World Series champions. I mean, we haven't seen it happen. Very, I I don't know if it's that hot of a take. I mean, they were the best team last year. I think that most people expect them to be be the best team again this year. The only thing really that feels like it's working against them is the fact that we still haven't seen a team repeat since the 1998 to 2000 Yankees. But the Dodgers were absolutely the best team, whether you look at offense, weighted runs created plus last year, you look at pitching, you look at their ERA, you look at anything else. And Fangraphs has them projected for the most war of any team right now. Again, you know, we don't know about free agents and everything else. And I don't think that this is a window closing situation, but Corey Seager is a free agent after next year. So there are going to be some more questions. Clayton Kershaw is not getting any younger. We saw him miss time this year again with a back injury. Obviously, Walker Buehler is continuing to mature into that sort of ace role that he likely will take on whenever Kershaw is no longer quite at his peak. But I, I think that there is no reason that any other team looks to me that they might take them down other than the fact that it took them since 1988 to win this one. Yeah, we were, um, I think you were a part of this. We were, we were asked to put together a, uh, like a power rankings to run on the site next week, you know, one to 30 and I, no brainer, right? Like Dodgers yeah. number one. And then I actually had to put some thought into who would be two, three, four behind that. I will, um, give you a less hot take. They will definitely repeat as National League West division champions. Yes. That is a scorching take right there. My second prediction is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will have the breakout we've been waiting for. I feel like we have all just been, incredibly impatient and maybe we're spoiled by like Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna and all these other guys who just like appear and mash from day one. He is still not 22. He will not be 22 until March. And somehow we have all just been incredibly disappointed by the fact that he has been 10% above average as a hitter. And in 2020, there were good signs, right? He dropped his strikeout rate. It's well below average. And he upped his hard hit rate. Like even in 2019, we were talking about his exit velocity. Well, he upped his hard hit rate from 38% to 58%, which is in the top 7% of baseball. And he was 50.8%, but still very good. I said 51%, 50. 58%. Oh, 51%. (laughs) I was rounding. Uh, And he did all that while being pretty open about the fact he was not necessarily in peak physical condition. Now, whether he can stick at third base, probably not. I don't know. I'm not worried about that right now. I think he's going to have this big breakout this year in his age 22 season. And people are going to be like, what took so long? And he's still only going to be 22. I think that I hope you're right. Um, the issue with him is not hitting the ball hard. It's hitting the ball in the air. Like he's, he's, he's has like a, a, a really high ground ball rate for someone who, you know, doesn't really have any speed and should be a power hitter. So I'm not saying he can't do that, but that's kind of been the issue is right. He's it's, We'll see. I hope I hope you're right, because I think he's, you know, could be one of the more um, exciting, um, entertaining players in the game. Maybe this should have been a wish more than a prediction. But. <laughs> no, it's, it's, right. a, it's, a, it's a good one. Um, my second prediction is that um, Juan Soto will post the first OPS above 1200 since Barry Bonds in 2004. Love it. Um, and it would be I know OPS is not the most analytically sound, you know, stat but it's a good quick and dirty way of like okay who are the best hitters it usually steers you in the right direction and 1200 as i was looking into this is actually kind of a magic number that um is it's rare um it would only be the ninth such season since integration um barry bonds had four of them 2001 through 2004 he was above 1200 ops mark mcguire 1998 jeff bagwell and frank thomas in 1994 and ted williams in 1957 that's it 
And I think that people, and I myself included, probably didn't quite realize how good Juan Soto was last year. Yes, I know it was only 47 games um, because he missed um, some time because of a, a positive COVID test, which I think turned out might have been a false positive, but um, that's maybe neither here nor there. He hit 351, 490, 695 last year. He led the National League in all three categories and was second only to DJ LeMahieu in batting average in the majors. He had 28 points of OBP edge on anyone else in the majors. And yes, I know over the course of 47 games, people can have, you know, freakishly great stat lines. But with someone like Juan Soto, who's been so good, so young, and has shown like a little bit of progress each year, he's one guy who I feel like it's actually kind of real. And I think that like he is, you know, Mike wrote about this recently about how, you know, the Zips projection system has Ted Williams, literally Ted Williams as his number one comp, you know, as evidenced by the 1200 OPS uh, <laughs> barrier. And I think that Juan Soto is going to do it this year. And uh, I cannot wait to see him. Head. I love this. I love it because it's it's like a lunatic thing to say, right? Like, here's this 22 year old guy who's going to do something that hasn't been done since Barry Bonds and has barely ever been done. And my reaction isn't like you're out of your mind. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I I could totally see that. Like there is nothing you could say that Juan Soto would do that I would say no. It's it's not possible. As as I wrote, like you said, anybody who has gotten off to a start like this in their career and who hasn't suffered like you know serious injury has been in a Hall of Famer. I will be more surprised if he's not a Hall of Famer than if he is. Uh, Sarah, your next prediction is also about a talented young National League player. It is. It is. It's about Brian Hayes on the Pirates. So I'm predicting that he's going to win the NL Rookie of the Year. I don't think this one's a hot take at all. I'm pretty sure our pipeline folks have been predicting him for 2021 National League Rookie of the Year uh, pretty much since, you know, September began and we saw what he did this year. But uh, definitely my pick here. He was really, really good. He only played 24 games. He had 95 plate appearances. He led all rookies in wins above replacement on baseball reference. That's a counting stat. He led everyone in 95 plate appearances. And it's just, it wasn't like he had a good month or he went on a hot streak. The process stats were really good behind this. So he hit the ball really hard. He had a 55% hard hit rate and he didn't swing and miss a lot. He only had an 18% whiff rate. And I looked into this. There was no qualified hitter in 2020 with a whiff rate that low and a hard hit rate that high. The two guys who were closest were Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman. So perennial AL MVP candidate, multi-time MVP, and the 2020 NL MVP in Freddie Freeman. And that's what we should be expecting out of him. I don't think he's necessarily going to, no one's going to have those absurdly hard hit, high hard hit rates, or we won't have quite as many above 50% as we had in 2020 in a shortened season. But this is what was expected of him. And the other thing is he's a really, really good defender. I mean, he threw out Chris Bryant at home on a pretty cool play in his debut when he also homered. And everyone was expecting the defense out of him. And the offense came to play as well. Yeah, this is I, a hope good you're right. I hope you're right, Sarah, because the Pirates fans really need Oof. something yes. to be excited Oof. about. Yes, they do. So, like, you know, it's, it's always nice to me, like, when even when, like, a team that's really, you know, rebuilding and doesn't really have anything um, – that much going for it if it has like that one player you could get excited about and it looks like the pirates may have that guy yeah I'm, I'm i'm down to this entirely the only thing is when we go into next season and we think about who our award predictions will be right like forget about the guys who didn't even get to the big leagues yet right just thinking about the ones who debuted last year hayes will get a lot of support no doubt but i also think a lot of people are going to look at ian anderson who was absolutely fantastic for yeah. the braves and Sixto Sanchez, who was fantastic for the Marlins too. So I think there's a scenario where Hayes is 
uh, amazing and yet still kind of get swallowed up in the competition. Maybe Dylan Carlson, right? Joey Bart, whomever else comes up, Caber Ruiz, all these guys. But I think this is a good one. The uh, I don't totally buy the power he showed, but I'm all in on the glove. And that's a really good one. My third prediction is this. Shane Bieber, who was just the unanimous American League Cy Young Award winner. And I think at one point I tried to pitch him for the American League MVP. That's how good he was, even though he only made 12 starts. Next year, he's not going to have a good year. He's not going to have a great year. He is going to have an all-time great year, right? This year, he had a 163 ERA. He threw 77 in the third innings, uh, struck out 122 guys, and allowed 14 earned runs. 14 earned runs in 12 games started. And we're always going to look at this year, I think, with a little bit of a side eye just because it was short. You know, he only, only made 12 starts, right? But all of the underlying uh, you know, metrics and everything that went into it were, this is legitimately real. Like, he came up from the minors. He's always had pinpoint control. You know, now the velocity kicked up. He's basically inventing new versions of breaking pitches. We are working on a new tool that can measure the direction of spin. And I wrote a whole thing about it that probably will be published in January. And it's kind of about what makes Shane Bieber great. I mean, he's still young. He is only going to be 26 next year. I am all in. And if he gets to make 32 starts next year, it's going to be one of those years that you think about in the same breath as like, you know, Pedro 1999. Uh, Bob Gibson, 1968. That is how all in I am on the Shane Bieber experience. Matt, your next one is also about Cleveland. Um, a quick aside before we get to it. You mentioned Bob Gibson, 1968. Um, I don't know if you, you guys know it's a new thing, but on MLB.tv now, there's now a ton. Of, it's not just games. It's like it's like almost like a baseball Netflix. There's all these old like network shows and like old episodes of This Week in Baseball. Um, I mentioned that because I, I was kind of scrolling through it because it's a lot of fun there's just a lot of like crazy stuff on there and i found this like old episode of this week in baseball from 1988 in which they did a whole segment of like bob gibson's 1968 20 years later and they got like john fogarty of queen's Clearwater revival to be like the host of this little segment like inter- introducing uh bob gibson in the 1968 season it was a wild blast from the past this is also a plug for anyone that mlb.tv is awesome during the season, and now it's even awesome in the off season. So um, I encourage baseball junkies like ourselves to uh, check it out. Back to my prediction, Cleveland. I predict that Francisco Lindor will not be traded. I know he's been a um, a hot name in the trade market for you know months now, if not years, um, and he will be a free agent next winter. And a lot of people said like, well, you know, if like Mookie Betts was traded a year before free agency, the same thing could happen with. Francisco Lindor, but I think their situations are different for two reasons. One of which is the Red Sox, you can agree or disagree with the wisdom of the trade. Um, and I certainly understand all the arguments against it, but the ownership had obviously built up a lot of goodwill and had won four World Series in the century. So they could maybe do some things that in the short term or long term didn't look so smart, but they sort of had built up some some reservoir of goodwill to do whatever kind of they, they wanted. Um, second of all, something the Indians do don't really have. Second of all, there are so many good shortstops on the free agent market next winter. You have Francisco Lindor, you have Trevor Story, you have Corey Seager, you have Carlos Correa, you have Javier Baez, that it doesn't really make sense for a team that would be interested in trading for Francisco Lindor to send a lot of, you know, the type of the type of pa- trade package that the Indians would want right now, when you know you can sign any one of these guys next winter and not have to give up a bunch of prospects for it, um, 
I'm a fan of the Knicks in basketball. Insert your last year. Um, and it reminds me a few years ago when they traded for Carmelo Anthony. It wasn't so bad they traded for Carmelo Anthony. It was that he was going to be a free agent like three months later, and they could have just signed him. But instead, they sent like three or four good young players and a bunch of trap picks to get him. So basically, they like stripped down their team to add this star when they didn't need to. Whereas like they could have compete, they could have been so much better if they just waited. But they were worried about losing out on him. And I think that like there's a little bit of that, that dynamic here that like even if a team gets desperate and went, wants Lindor this summer, it's like, well, I could just wait. And I just don't think that the Indians will be enticed by the trade packages that they're going to get. I think they're going to be really underwhelming. And when you look at the the AL Central, they're still right in position to compete this year, right? If you look at, you know, the um, the fan graphs, depth charts I mentioned earlier, they're basically even with the White Sox right now. I, I take the White Sox over them. But the Indians still have a very good roster. So if I'm the Indians, I'm like, well, I might as well just like run it back with this team. And, you know, uh, if he leaves it a free agent, so be it. We'll get draft picks. You know, but it's – I just don't think he's going to get trade. I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of remind. it's not the same situation, I understand. I'm reminded a little bit about Manny Machado with the Orioles where they held on to him and tried to trade him at the deadline and got not that much for him. Obviously, the difference there is that the Orioles that year – we're not going to contend, whereas uh, the Clevelanders might. And um, I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of smoke to this fire. It feels like this is the time for it to happen. But I also think that your uh, yours right there is in maybe direct contradiction to Sarah's final prediction here. Because if Sarah's right, then, man, Cleveland really did this wrong. Sarah, what is your last one here? Yeah, so I'm also staying in the AL Central, and I have that the White Sox are going to win their first division since 2008, and I have them winning a playoff series too, first time since 05 when they went on to win the World Series. What Matt said is completely you know, on the nose that they're pretty much tied in terms of projected war, but I guess part of what I'm seeing here is that I don't know exactly who, but I feel like the White Sox are going to add another player somewhere at some point here. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with these outfielders or anything else in the free agent market. And there's so many guys who are maybe smaller impact, but we haven't talked about quite as much, but everything we heard from the White Sox when they made the Lance Lynn trade was that they weren't done yet. And I am sort of operating and, you know, trusting that, but I also think they were just really good. And I'm banking on that Mankata comeback that you mentioned earlier and your wishes. And, you know, Tim Anderson, I am a really big fan of who he is as a player. Jose Abreu just won MVP. Lucas Giolito was not as great as he was the year before, but then he threw a no hitter. So I'm expecting him to continue to anchor that rotation. And, you know, Dallas Keuchel was surprising and to to me, at least in terms of how steady he was for them. And I think that if all of that continues to go well for them, I I have them winning the division. I, I just think that there is a lot of uncertainty with the Indians and I love the pick for uh, Bieber to have an all-time great season. And I, I really hope that's true because I love slacking with Mandy Bell every time he pitches to figure out what the note is for this start, uh, which is what we did for 12 starts this past year. Um, but yeah, I have the White Sox winning the division. All in on this. I love this one. Cause I, I think you're totally right. Like I really did not like the Larissa hire and nothing that's happened since has changed my mind on that. But what did they really miss last year was a third competent starting pitcher and they didn't just get an average one, right? They got a really good one in Lance Lynn. And, you know, as, as down as I was on the hire, I also didn't really think that, you know, Renteria did a good job with the bullpen. So if Larusa can handle that a little bit better, if Makata can bounce back, maybe you see Andrew Vaughn this year, which would actually be really cool to get some DH. Go Bears. Time. 
<laughs> we went, went to Cal. I always have to mention it. So, which which so. you did not, as I remember. <laughs> I did not, but my mom did. Um, I no, I love this one. I'm I'm all in on that. That um, by the way, ends our final show for the year. So I do want to thank everybody for listening in what's obviously been a very tough year. Thank you to Sarah for joining us, and um, to our producer Danny G, who has made us all sound better. So for Matt and I, uh, happy holidays. We're not going to do a show next week. We'll be back the first week of January and we'll talk to you next season.